hey, have you ever experienced this before where you see a brand new business sort of pop up sort of out of nowhere, whether it's digital or in person or online, offline, doesn't matter. But you see this business sort of come out of nowhere and they're just skyrocketing. They are having incredible results. In the back of your mind, you're like, how in the world were they able to do this so quickly? And how are they able to do this in a very competitive space too? Because oftentimes when we're creating businesses, we're like, oh, well, there's people who exist in that space already. There's companies that are already sort of the big A players and, and, and the behemoths in that space. How can we even potentially compete with that? Well, today I wanted to share an amazing story with you through a good friend of mine. His name is Jeff Fenster, our special guest today. He is the founder of Everbowl. If you are in the Southern California region and, and this is they're opening up new locations all over the place, essentially they are a superfood, not a restaurant, but you know, you, you walk in, you get greeted with this amazing smile from a team member, and then you kind of craft your own acai bowl. And it's superfood, super coffee, sort of like a mix between Chipotle, but with really healthy stuff. Not that Chipotle isn't healthy, although we could have a debate about that, obviously. But what I mean is like granola. Acai. And, you know, these kinds of things aren't necessarily new, but the idea of how Jeff put this all together in a way was new. And we're going to dive into the story of Everbowl today. And with Jeff, and, and fun story about Jeff, he and I actually went to middle school and high school together. And we didn't connect a ton back then, but we've definitely connected now. We're really good friends, and I support everything he does. And I wanted to share the story of Everbowl and how they were able to break into the space, some very unique things that he and his business are doing too, to break the mold and to create something totally new in a space that seemingly was sort of saturated already. All that and more here on the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, his favorite productivity tool is a soft pillow, Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and, and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use, and one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be, because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting, and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host, and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just there's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to, and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site too, if, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio. And it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there. They are the sponsor of this episode. And I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're, they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine and, you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link 
alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. What's up, everybody? Pat Flynn here, and welcome to session 420 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people, too. And like I said, we're interviewing and having a conversation with Jeff Fenster, CEO of Everbowl, with, I'm, I'm looking at how many locations they have now. I mean, there's like 20 locations or so, actually 25 at this point in time, mostly in the San Diego area, branching out into Arizona, and they're just taking the world by storm right now, which is really amazing. So, Let's chat with Jeff. Here he is. Jeff, welcome to the SPI podcast. Thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much, Pat. I am honestly, this is probably the most excited I've ever been to be on a podcast due to our past. So thank you for having me. Love your show and excited to meet your audience. Yeah, I'm excited too, because uh, out of all the people that we have interviewed here on the show, you're probably the person that I've known the longest. And that's because, as I was saying in the intro, we went to high school together. We went to middle school together. Did we... Did you? Do we even go to elementary school together? I don't think so. I went to Jerebeck. Okay. No, I was at yeah. I was at Walker. So a long time this relationship has been, and we've been friends on and off for a number of years now. And then we reconnected recently after both getting involved with entrepreneurship and business. And now you are the CEO and founder of a massively successful brand uh, that I've seen all around the San Diego County now, uh, now and I know it's spreading called Everbowl. And just first of all, congratulations to you on that. And I want to unpack how all that happened and sort of what your plans are for that. But take us back to before you were CEO of Everbowl. Uh, when did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur and what kinds of things were you doing? So I actually never thought about being an entrepreneur. I went to college and then went to law school to be a sports agent and had a job lined up in sports agency uh, with Lee Steinberg Sports Agency and um, to work for my mentor, David Meltzer. And I thought that was what I was going to do. And while I was in law school and getting a glimpse into that life, I decided that really wasn't what I wanted. So when I graduated law school, um, I had a fiance and a little baby and law school debt and had to start making money. So I got a job, got a job at ADP, which was a payroll company, because a friend of mine was there and I was always good in sales. And she said, why don't you come? It's an outside sales job. Why you figure out what you want to do since I had zero desire to be a practicing attorney? So I was kind of in this limbo stage. So I went and worked for ADP and was extremely successful right out the gates because of some of the things I learned throughout my, my teenage years and in, in college just on how to sell and utilizing solution-based selling and leveraging relationship capital, which is a very valuable tool. I was the number one sales rep in the country my first six months there. So I made a lot of money and I built a big ego and I thought I was untouchable. And I earned a Pinnacle Award, which was like seventeen a $17,000 bonus. And it was January 2008. And I went to my boss and I said, hey, I earned this, this pretty cool bonus, 17000 And I had just bought a house in Mira Mesa. And I, put, you know, all my money got sunk into the down payment and me and my fiance moved in. And when I went to my boss in January, she said, well, you have to wait to the end of the fiscal year because it's an annual goal. So you'll get it the third week of July. The fiscal year ends in June. And I was like, wait, 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 that's six months from now. I was counting on it. I'd like my money. Give me another quota. Just give me whatever you need to do. I'll do whatever I need to do. Let me have it. And she basically said, I'm sorry, this is a big company. That's just not how it works. So I went higher up. I spoke to supervisors and managers above her. And finally, long story short, I was told, no, you're not getting it. So I figured, okay, I'm the number one sales rep. I'm going to use my, my stature. And I threatened to quit if they didn't give it to me. 
And they called my bluff and they said, well, listen, if you want to quit, you can quit, but we're not giving you the, the bonus. So I went home and asked my fiance if she uh, would support me in the idea that I was going to now quit. And she said, yes. So literally I quit the very next day, moved my fiance and daughter out of my house into my parents' house and started a payroll company with a buddy of mine the very next day. And that was my being thrusted into entrepreneurship, recognizing that I just wasn't meant for big bureaucratic corporate America. I just wasn't set up for it. Wow, that's incredible. So first of all, you had mentioned something called, before we get into the payroll company and just what your first steps were with that, because that's really interesting. Uh, leverage relationship capital, something you say, said was really important for your success as a salesperson. Can you describe what that is and, and how we might be able to utilize that? Sure. I, I genuinely believe it is the number one most important asset entrepreneurs and people in sales have that they don't recognize the power of. And the ones who do find, I think, immense success. And what it is, is just like money is capital, it's currency, we use it to buy and sell things. Relationship capital is, is, can be viewed similarly. And what that is, is the ability to say, who do I know who I've earned the right to ask for help? They can make that introduction. They can open up their Rolodex. They can avoid me paying a dummy tax. And how do you earn that? And so luckily, early in my teenage years, I interned a lot. My mom always made me intern, intern, intern. Mm -hmm. And the concept of learning before you earn really stuck with me. So I built relationships with people in business that are much older than me uh, while I was in a teenager and I never got paid. And I worked hard for them and I built those relationships. So I basically was making deposits, if you think of it as currency, into my relationship ATM machine with them. So when I got my job at ADP and I needed to meet business owners and I was only 24 years old, I was able to call them and say, Mr. So-and-so, or I'll use Dave, you know, Dave Meltzer, he helped me a, man, a ton. I'd call Dave and say, Dave, I'm selling payroll services. Can you introduce me to business owners? And he would open up his Rolodex and give me 50 to 75 people at a time that he would make warm introductions to and say, please support Jeffrey, because that's what he called me. Please support Jeffrey in his endeavor. I trust him. And if you're using a payroll company other than ADP, he's backed by ADP. So I was getting these warm introductions to where I wasn't cold calling. I wasn't having to learn the tough, the tough tranche of sales like all my uh, coworkers. I was literally getting warm introductions from Dave saying to his buddy, use Jeffrey if he can save you money or at least give you better service. And so leveraging relationship capital to grow made it to where I was working smarter, not harder. And I wasn't smiling and dialing and cold calling, but I was investing in those relationships instead. And so I'm sure we'll talk about that more as we go, because that's been the foundation of all of my entrepreneurial successes and my failures are just not related to it. Yeah, th well, thank you for that. And this very much mirrors what a number of people who have come on the show before have said, including Jordan Harbinger, who loves to talk about this kind of stuff too. He uh, made an analogy of, you know, you wanna dig your well before you're thirsty. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, we, we try digging our well when we're thirsty and it's just too late. And the idea of offering value up front with really no agenda other than to build this relationship capital is, is what it's about. So thank you for sharing that personal experience with that. So you got, uh, you, you, you let yourself go, you, you, you quit and then you start your own company, but you had never done anything like that before. What were some of the big challenges that you had and what was life like as you were building your business for the first time? The biggest challenge was my buddy and me, uh, Brian, who we started it together, were both salesmen. So neither of us actually knew how to process payroll or run the company or even what to do. Um, so it was really that moment like, okay, now what? We know we can sell it. We know we can go out and find customers, which is, you know, that's a, that's a scary thing for a lot. I think a lot of 
people who want to be entrepreneurs and want to start their own company is they're worried about how they're going to generate business. We didn't have that fear, but we had the fear of, well, once we get it, what are we going to do? How, how do you actually run payroll? How do you provide customer experience? How do you start your own entity? Like we knew conceptually, but we didn't really understand what we were doing. And then secondly, I just moved into my mom's house after I had just bought a house with my, my fiance and daughter. And so it was very stressful and scary just in all things happening all at once was very, it was, it was a, it was a weird time. It was a scary time, but an exciting time all at the same, which anyone who has made the leap into entrepreneurship probably has felt those, those rushes of different emotions. So what we did first really was we, we spoke, me and my partner, Brian, and we said, okay, who should be the one outgrowing the business and who should be the one kind of operating? And we decided I should be outgrowing and him operating because he's more operationally minded and probably a better operator than I would be. And I was a little bit better at garnering, rela- uh, leveraging relationships, garnering sales and, and actually growing the brand. And so that's what happened. We went out and, you know, I sold, we kind of said, okay, let's go get 10 customers and figure out what to do with them. So I did, I went and got 10 customers and then together we kind of figured out, okay, we can use this technology to process payroll. We're going to use these banking relationships. And we just reverse engineered what we needed to do. Um, it was 2008. So it wasn't as I don't want to say easy because the word easy is, not, is a terrible descriptor for what it is, but it was never, it wasn't as easy as it is today to learn new things with YouTube and, you know, all of the different learning platforms that are out there and the access to information at your fingertips. But it was much easier then than it was probably 10 years prior because access to information was accessible. So there was an opportunity for us to learn things that we would just had no idea what to do or how to do it. So we started reading blogs. We started following, you know, anyone who was on the internet that was writing about startups or, or how to start a company or payroll companies and payroll processing. And we became truly just inundated with information. Like we, we just kind of got as much as we could and tried to sift through it and figure out how to kind of drive our track as we were going. And in terms of getting started uh, with the investments required, obviously a lot of time and, and research. What about capital investment? And was that necessary or how did you bootstrap this or did you get outside investment? So we did bootstrap it to start. I did get my bonus when I quit and I got paid out from my from my payroll company and I moved out of my house. So I had no I had no bills. And then luckily my, my mother and father made a twenty thousand dollar investment into our company. So we had a little bit of working capital, which was necessary just to kind of do some basic stuff. And we started and we bootstrapped it for about nine months. Uh, we had rapid growth because I once again leveraged once we had our systems in place and we were ready to scale. Uh, we scaled really quickly. We leveraged all of our relationships. And it's amazing what happens when you tell your sphere, your relationship sphere, what you're doing. If it's for you, they get behind you. And so many opportunities started to open up for us that just weren't weren't there when I was an employee at ADP. But once everyone was like, oh, this is your company now, they like truly got behind us. And so we had rapid growth and we ended up raising some private equity capital nine months in, which allowed us to then truly scale. And we, you know, that, that was kind of the, that turning point where we were like, okay, we, we're now funded, we now have money, and now we can really go hit this thing. How does one gracefully ask for help? I think a lot of people might feel worried about, oh, you know, I don't want to, you know, feel like I'm begging or, you know, I don't want to cause too much trouble and have this person go out of their way. I can imagine those sort of thoughts in one person's head when asking for favors in, in such a case. How do you approach that in a way where, you know, they can get behind you? Well, I think, I think it depends on the relationship. So obviously, if they're very close personal relationships, you can just ask. You've, or you've probably built up enough deposits in the relationship capital ATM machine of things you've done for them 
to where I can just call, you know, my best friend and say, Hey, can you help me out? Right. We've done enough for each other without any, you know, underlying purpose or reason behind it, um, unselfishly. So I can just ask. But then the other ones, what can I do for you? If you think about it from that perspective, all of a sudden it, it shifts. So I had a good friend of mine who introduced me to a, a kind of a mutual acquaintance who was a CPA. And I wanted to meet the CPA because a CPA meets so many business owners who come in every year to get their business taxes done and all of that. So it was a great opportunity to meet a bunch of customers without having to smi- you know, smile and dial and hopefully get a warm introduction. So when we met, the first question I said is, how can I bring you more business? And I listened. And then I looked at my customer base and I said, okay, let me make warm introductions to my existing customers to this CPA first before I ask them for business. So I'm giving him or, you know, it was a him, but it could be a her, him or her value first before I ask. So I went through my customers and wrote a nice email and said, listen, I'm working with so-and-so. And and if you don't have a current CPA to do your business taxes or you're on the fence or you're looking to meet someone who who I trust, let me make an introduction. And I did. And so all of a sudden, because I did that first, when it came time to me asking, I've already given and I've kind of earned the right to ask for a little help. And, and they want to help because I already gave them business. They want to get more business for me because it was it was a mutually symbolic relationship, kind of like, you know, I don't know if anyone's I'm, I like uh, the ocean and I like scuba diving and stuff. But there's like places in the ocean where predators aren't predators. They actually help each other. And there's like cleaning stations where sharks will go and little fish who they would normally eat will actually clean and eat stuff off of them in this one moment because it's symbiotic and it's mutually helpful. It's kind of the same thing where, I mean, it's, we're not sharks and fish, but it's just how I always look at it, where if I can pay it forward, if I can give value first, I've kind of earned the right to ask for help later. And sometimes you can't, right? I mean, that's a perfect scenario. Sometimes it just doesn't work. Like you might just be someone and I just want to gain help, but it could be, how can I help you? Is there anything I can do with my relationships to add value to you? If not, can I give you my time? Can I volunteer at your, at your charity? Can I make a donation to your event, to your cause? What can I do to help? Because I'm not asking for favors for free. I'm asking for mutual help. Mm-hmm. And if it's truly just one-sided, sometimes, you know, they want to help you anyway, because they're probably at a, at a different level in life where they don't need what, anything you have right now. But there's, I think everyone gets to that point. When you reach a certain level of success, helping others Although it feels, it's a good thing to do. It feels so good that people, a lot of people really love it. And, and I'm at a point in my life where I love helping other people. I'm a mentor now and working with young, young entrepreneurs at the Lavin School of Entrepreneurship and doing a lot of things. And I can tell you, I've never really experienced this level of personal satisfaction from helping and inspiring others and watching them grow and develop. And then them just thanking me with just words. It truly feels incredible. So I think people want to help. And I think you shouldn't be too shy or scared to ask for it. Just remember that if you're always asking, your ATM machine is going to run out. So it has to, you have to think about making deposits as well, even if you don't know. And like what you said, Jordan said on your show, digging your well before you're thirsty is critical. I mean, I think you should, you should really treat every single relationship you meet, regardless of if they, they're above you or lower than you in the stature of your profession, like they're gold, because you never know who they know. You never know how they can help you and you never know how you can help them. And if you just treat it that way, you're going to build this big, big, big sphere of relationships that are going to allow you to exponentially grow your business. And personally, you're just your, your overall happiness. Well, thank you, Jeff, for that. And I loved your shark analogy. 
you're such a nerd, uh, it sounds like, with the ocean. But also, <laughs> you know, there's a reason why they call it the shark tank. And it's not just because sharks are scary, but, you know, I, li- I like that analogy. Also, for those of you in the audience listening who might have young ones, I think I would encourage you to, like what Jeff is talking about, to share the importance of providing value to others first and building these relationships. A good book that I want to recommend for those with kids that is along the same lines. It's not an entrepreneurial book, but it really obviously covers the same sort of themes. It's called How Full Is Your Bucket? And this is a book that my kids had read in school. They go to an entrepreneurial sort of themed school, if you will. And when they brought home this book and they were telling me about it, it's it's exactly this. You can either deposit into other people's buckets and make them feel great. Or when you say something negative or you're just always asking for things, you're taking away from their bucket and eventually you could have it be depleted and that's not good. Um, So providing value to others, I, I, I love that. Let's move on in the story. You have this payroll company, things are going well. I just, when, when does Everbowl come into play here or, or are we still far from it? We're quite far from it still. Okay. Um, I kind of came to the, so my biggest weakness, at least that's what everyone who loved me told me was I had not ADD, like traditional ADD, but like this interest ADD where I would get really into something and then a few years later, I'm into something else and I didn't really have anything that was going to keep me captivated for like 30, 40 years, like a career. So that was the biggest fear. My parents always said to me, Jeff, you've got to find something that you can do and build a long-term career over it. Well, I came to realize I have entrepreneurial ADD um, and I love startups. I love starting companies. I like breaking into new industries and learning new things so much that I have started many companies over the last 12 years since the payroll company. Uh, I started a digital marketing agency. I started a equity, uh, company to legalize equity-based crowdfunding. I started a uh, company called We Create, which the idea was to partner budding entrepreneurs with either money or services or an infrastructure that they may or may not have. I started a sports-based investing company called sportsinvestmentsystems.com. Uh, I started a construction company. I started Everbowl, a restaurant chain. I started a CPG line. So I've kind of navigated through lots of different wow. industries. <laughs> yeah. Some of them were successful and some of them weren't, but I came to realize that I actually have a lane called serial entrepreneurship, which the word entrepreneur is so important. It's it's a sexy word today, which it wasn't, you know, back when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Um, it was almost like, well, maybe you should get a job. That was kind of like the overarching feel of the word. But I think it deserves more dedication, like more focus and more investigation. It's kind of like saying you're a doctor. Well, what kind of doctor are you? You know, you don't go to a heart surgeon to have your broken bone fixed and you don't go to a podiatrist to have heart surgery. So when you say I'm an entrepreneur, I think that's great. And I love entrepreneurship. It's my favorite industry. But there's so many different types of entrepreneurs. There's the person who's a CPA working in a CPA firm that wants to start their own CPA firm. That's an entrepreneur. There's a number two at a startup. That's an entrepreneurial minded individual who provides value, but might not be the person who has the vision or starts the actual company. There's someone like me who's a three to five to six year guy at a company that I start before I pass it off to someone else who can take it to the next level so I can go start another company. So I think that there's a lot of different types of entrepreneurs. And I think I just found over my career that I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I look for opportunity and I'm industry agnostic. It doesn't matter what industry it is. And I look for ways to come in with fresh eyes and disruption. And can I start start and scale a sustainable business inside of that into that marketplace. And if I can, I want to do it. And I want to surround myself with rock stars who can enable us to grow and use 
you know, I have a, a saying and I like to be the dumbest guy in the room and I surround myself with incredible people who are better at each task than me. And when I have built the entire team of people better than me, I'm ready to move on to my next venture. And I love that. That's like my biggest passion. So yeah, there's a lot of companies between the payroll company and Everbull, but Everbull is unique because besides my family and entrepreneurship, healthy living is my third biggest passion in life. So mirroring two of my biggest passions has been, Everbull has been my favorite company for sure. So tell all of us what is Everbull in case we hadn't heard about it yet. So Everbull is craft superfood restaurant chain. So the idea behind Everbull was trying to help everyone eat better because looking at the, you know, what's killing us in America today is as educated as a country we are, we're, we're getting inundated with health issues from cancer, obesity, heart disease, stroke. And when you look at the science behind it, over 80% of them are lifestyle related, meaning it's our habits. It's what we're doing. It's our lack of movement and what we're consuming. We're eating. And the average American eats fast food over three times a week. So when you look at that and you say, why? We're so smart. We know this is bad for us. Why are we doing it? So I looked at what excuses we're making as to why we choose to eat unhealthy. I narrowed them down to four basic overarching excuses. And Everbowl was built to solve those four excuses and provide people with good nutrition that's going to make them thrive and be their best self. And those four excuses are, it either costs too much to eat healthy, it doesn't taste good, it doesn't fill me up and leave me satisfied, or I just can't get it. It's, it's just, I have a half an hour or an hour for lunch. This is the shopping center I have to go to, and there's nothing there. So I realized that if I could make food affordable, filling, delicious, and accessible, all made from stuff that's been around forever, which is our tagline, I knew that I could get everyone to eat healthy most of the time. And so we reverse engineered what, what it was. I'm not a chef, so I actually made the recipes two weeks before we opened and always knew I could adjust those. But it was the idea was I wanted to recreate healthy eating and make it accessible for everyone, just like the fast food industry did with unhealthy eating and make it affordable at the same price as fast food. And then we had to build a lot of stores, which is why we've opened 25 stores in the first three years um, and continue to try to hopefully continue that rapid growth. I and mean, we did that by vertical integration of multiple startups, which is using my, my weakness, air quotes, of <laughs> uh, entrepreneurial ADD. But my strength now of startups to create startups to empower and, and solidify what we're doing. And so I started a construction arm called WeBuild, where we actually build our own stores. So we're able to build them faster and cheaper than we could if we were using a third-party construction arm. And it self-sustains, it's, it's, it's self-sustaining by our own growth. I and mean, that's allowed us to really grow. And then I started an import business where I import my own superfoods so I could drive my cost down so I could pass it to the consumer and compete against the subsidized, you know, burger industry that I just don't have because I'm providing superfood. So we saw acai bowls, pitaya bowls, and all different types of fun superfood bowls, but we let you create it your way. So it's a create your own style system where you come in and you get to pick every ingredient you want. We give you a very big portion, all for one price. We don't nickel and dime you or charge you for extras if you want more of this or you want to substitute. It's one price all in. And we're opening a lot of them. So hopefully we can make them available to everybody all the time. That's amazing. I mean, thank you for telling us the thought process behind that. When you have this inspiration to create a business similar to this one or, or, or to create Everbowl, where do you even start? Because this seems like a, a giant feat to try and tackle. Um, how do you even compete with the fast food industry? And I think a lot of us listening may have giant aspirations such as, such as this. Where do we even begin to understand where to start? How did you start? So I start with two things. First, I always start with the end because if I don't know where I'm going, I don't know how to get there. 
So I think too often we go, we're, we're not laser focused on what our why is like, where are we truly going? What is that endpoint? And my why was basically to create an unevolved lifestyle. And it's a word we created and trademarked. And it means to move and eat the way we were meant to live actively and eat stuff that's been around forever. Just find ways to unevolve every day and move your body and eat real food. So I said, okay, if that's my why, how am I going to get there? And I want to have a nationwide chain. That's where I want to go. So I looked at the big stream and I'm like, okay, I'm obviously competing with so many big businesses. What strengths do I have that they don't? What strengths? I mean, the strengths that they have are obviously endless with money and resources and, and brand recognition and all the things that would keep me from, from achieving my goal. Well, my biggest strengths in, in any startup or small company has to realize your biggest strengths against the big guys is speed and agility. They move slower. They have more resources than you, and they're much bigger. But you have speed and agility. You're on a little motorboat while they're in a big cruise ship or aircraft carrier. Mm -hmm. So I can navigate the waters by making quick decisions that have meaningful impact on a daily basis. And if I don't use those strengths, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to. I, I can't compete with them. So I really start with speed and agility. So when I started, I opened one, and I gained as much learnings as I could. I fail fast. What are the things that are working? What are the things that aren't? And the things that are working, I don't focus on. I focus on what's not. I focus all my energy and effort on what are the things that are not working the way I want them to and how can I make changes. And I make changes really quickly. And we adjust and we adjust and we keep adjusting our sale until we find a track of or our cadence. And then once you find your wins, throw as much lighter fluid as you can on them. So we realized, okay, people liked our brand. They liked our food, but we didn't have enough stores. So I said, okay, what makes me open stores faster? I'm in the restaurant space. Well, I could build a restaurant from scratch or I can find restaurants that have turned over and might be available for me. Okay, let's think about that. What are the big chains that are turning over? And I identified Subway. Subway was because I was reading, you know, following my industry and reading everything I could and learning as much as I could. And I realized Subway was announced that they were closing 900 stores in 2018. And Subway is same size as me, similar demographic. They're on every street corner. It's the largest restaurant chain in the world. 43,000 units across the world, 22,000 franchisees. Like Subway is the perfect brand that I wanted to either grow into or follow along. And since they were closing stores, I took over a Subway. We turned it over into an Everbowl for very inexpensive and did it in 45 days. And then my growth strategy was, well, let's just find more Subways that are turning over. Hmm. So I did. I scoured San Diego and I found four Subways that had turned over that met our real estate criteria. So I signed leases right away. I got in there and they already get the same customer base because they're looking for that consumer who doesn't have a lot of time for food. They already have the same price point as us and people know to go to them on a regular basis. So they're in pretty well populated centers. So they did all my, my real estate for me. So I didn't need to do much real estate thinking. I was following the subway model and I was taking over subways because they already had the infrastructure. So I was able to turn them over cheaper and faster and get open and then luckily, customers were already coming, so they were going to get introduced to my brand just by coming to the center. And so we really kind of used that as our, as our launch point in 2018 when we started to really open a lot of stores. That's really neat. That's incredible. And I'm just, I have so many questions. Uh, <laughs> how are you able to, when it comes to like opening more stores, it sounds like with every store comes that much more to worry about. And, you know, how is this all managed? Are you working with partners or franchisees or how is this being done? So we, we've yet to sell any franchises. They're currently all corporate, uh, but we did just announce literally last uh, two weeks ago that we are franchising now in 2020. It's done by, by, again, me being the dumbest guy in the room and bringing on incredible people. 
I pride myself on being smart and learn everything I can, but I brought on a guy, Brian Augustine. He's our chief development officer, and he's responsible for basically taking the culture that we have at Everbull. And there's two rules I'll just share with your audience. There's two rules to work at an Everbull. It's make friends and have fun. And if you do those two things, you can work with us. And if you don't, well, then we don't, we're not a good fit. So we're all about making friends and having fun. And he created a Everbull University where we're able to train our staff and really grow the internal team that allows us to grow and scale because we are opening stores so fast. So he's been, without him, we wouldn't have been able to grow nearly as quickly. And then, you know, our chief operating officer, Eric Hansen, he's brilliant at creating systems and processes and utilizing technology so we can work smarter, not harder. And we can kind of disrupt the restaurant industry that's a little bit archaic. The restaurant industry has a lot of restaurateurs, minus the big, huge brands, but a lot of the smaller mom and pops, you know, they're restaurateurs, they're chefs, they're, they're, they're culinary experts, but they're not necessarily business experts. So they're not using all of the technologies that could allow them to be much more efficient in 2020 or 2019. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to pride ourselves on saying, okay, let's not make the same mistakes. And I'm sorry, I'm a cheesy quotes guy, but I have a lot of little sayings. But I think one of my quotes is, I think experience is one of the most overrated prerequisites to start a company. Because if you do things like everyone else in the industry, because you learn from everyone else in the industry, then you're going to be just like everyone else in the industry. And I'm trying to be an outlier. So we come in with fresh eyes, not knowing what restaurant tours do, and just use our business acumen and what we've learned just being in the world today and using what's available. So like we did, like I'll give you a great example. When we started, everyone in the inventory, it does inventory with certain, certain ways in the restaurant space. I had no idea what we were doing. So we took a free off-the-shelf app from our phone that was meant to basically manage the stuff in your closet at home and used it to do inventory. And from that, we've now, obviously, it's extrapolated version 20, 25 versions later that we've kind of bolted on and created ourselves. But we built a, a real-time inventory system for our restaurant, most restaurants do inventory once a week or once a month because it takes a long, long time and it's not really sophisticated. So you never have real time access to what kind of inventory you have. We do. And we have this power. And when I talk to big restaurateurs that own thousands of units or even our private equity group that owns 18,000 franchises around the world, they don't even have a system like this. And it's, it didn't cost us a lot of money. It just, it just required us to think differently. And recognize that what our strengths were was not to be like everyone else. Our strength was to say, you know what? The beauty is, unless you're in like a very unique niche industry where no one like, you know, you're building nuclear fusion or something very specific. Most industries have so much experience available that if you hit a roadblock and you need information, you can get it. So try without first, just with your own business acumen and learn on your own using what you know, because you might find a better way to do it that the industry just didn't think about simply because they've been doing it the same way for so long. And so we really leverage, I know that's a long-winded answer to your question, but it's a really leverage the fact that we built an incredible team. We have an incredible team of people and that's allowed us to scale and grow. I know the customer experience is also very important to you. We've talked about this during lunch a couple of times. Tell us a little bit about your thinking behind the customer experience and how you get people to keep coming back into the store. So it starts with making friends and having fun um, and, and what that means. And I, it's funny because we hire a lot of young adults, 16 to 22 year olds. And so they think making friends and having fun means, oh, we're just here to have a party. And I have to explain to them, no, making friends means you're genuinely smiling at everyone who walks through the door. You're genuinely more interested than interesting. You care about their day, regardless if they buy something and regardless if they ask about you. 
You're trying to understand what their needs are and wants are. And then what you do with a friend, right? You're accountable to your friends. If you say you're going to show up on time, you show up on time. You're going to be honest. You're not going to let them leave with a bad experience. If you see someone not enjoying their bowl, make them a new one. I don't care about making money on an individual bowl. I care about truly the customer experience and understanding that food and music are the two things we as humans do at pretty much every life event from birth to death and everything in between. A child is born, there's usually music and food, you know, at a at a ceremony for a passing, similar thing, and then weddings and, and sweet 16s and birthdays and everything in between, food and music. So humanize it, especially in 2020 when technology and people's eyes tend to only be staring at devices. When you go back to humanizing the, the eating experience, it food tastes better. And I tell every employee that, you know, we have over 450 employees currently at Everbowl, and I tell them all, I'll bet any of them money that I could walk down the street and get anyone to smile without saying a word. And the way is you smile at them. You make eye contact with a stranger and smile. 99% of the time, they're going to smile back. It's, it's almost like when I yawn, you're going to yawn. It, it's almost a, a subconscious reactive behavior. Mm -hmm. Similarly, if I frown at someone, they're going to probably frown at me or give me a squinty eye. And so we can change someone's behavior immediately with just a, a warm, genuine smile. And I'm hoping, and, I, and I'm seeing it now, that this kind of culture is teaching these young adults that when they go out beyond Everbowl and they go to college and, or beyond college or wherever they choose to do, if they don't go to college, that if they, they can change the vibe and the tone of any conversation or relationship with a simple smile, I'm doing my job. I'm doing what, what, what means a lot to me. That's incredible. And I do have personal experience going into an Everbowl and receiving one of those warm smiles. So okay. thank you for that, Jeff, and kudos to you and your team for, uh, for, for doing what they need to do to make the world a better place. I, re I really love that. I have questions about sourcing. I saw a picture of you on your Instagram where you were in some remote location holding some superfood of some kind. And it was just like, wow, like you're going there and doing that and dealing with other countries. And tell me a little bit about that experience for you, because I'm imagining it's a little bit different than the payroll company. Very, yes. So we source superfoods at Everbowl. We bring in acai from Brazil and graviola and acerola from Brazil. And it was very important to me to totally understand my entire supply chain. I didn't want to just be a guy in San Diego buying superfoods from some vendor and then repackaging them and selling them because that's not sustainable to me. That's not building the kind of company that, that means the most to me. And it also, the way you build, in my opinion, the strongest company is you know your business. And how could I know my business if I didn't go down to Brazil and see where this ingredient was being sourced from, how it was being sourced, who are the players? Is it done in a sustainable way or is it done in a, in a sweatshop? And am I supporting that? Like I, There's so many layers to it mm -hmm. that was critical for me to go down there. So I did. And, and we started buying more and more acai. And it got to the point where I was like, okay, I have to go down to Brazil. So I did. And I actually used my my supplier who was providing me the acai, I said, listen, I need to go down there. I'm going down there. If you go with me and introduce me to the factories, I would appreciate it. If not, I'm going to go without you. But it's critical to my business. And he brought me down there. We went down there together. He introduced me to factories. I ended up partnering with a factory directly. And I still pay him for that relationship. So he's still part of it, but he makes less, but he doesn't have anything to do. So he kind of protected his investment into our growth by, by doing that. And we now work directly with the factories down there. And we know it's being done in a sustainable way, both for the environment as well as for the workers. 
Um, I'm proud to say we use organic, high-quality acai that's not done on some farm, and it's it's truly picked right out of the Amazon. I got to climb a tree myself and pick it myself and eat it fresh. So my understanding of what we're doing from the base level is so deep now that I can speak so much more passionately and authentically to my team. And I also hope my customers understand that we genuinely care. Like, what's the difference between us and you know the the next company that just pops up? We go down there. We we understand what we're doing, and we've uncovered so many cool things. So we sell in our stores acai seeds that are turned into bracelets. We call them Ever Seeds. And when we were down there, this was the most touching thing that's happened in my just over three years at Everbowl. They speak Portuguese, I don't, so I had an interpreter. But we were working with a local family that was making these bracelets for us, and. One of the guys who was making it must have been 19, 20 years old. And he's talking to me in Portuguese with a tear, literally, like his eyes are tearing up. And my interpreter said he basically wanted to thank me that we spent $3,000 with him, which is not a lot of money, but it is for him. And us spending $3,000 allowed his eight-year-old sister to go to school mm. by us turning what they throw out because they were just throwing out acai seeds. Like there's literally millions of seeds. Like just there's a, there's a garbage truck in Castagnol that drives around just to pick up acai seeds to take it to the dump. Like that's all that they pick up. Like we have a compost, they have an acai seed garbage delivery system, and we're turning their trash into jewelry and now providing resources and means to these very, very poor families. Because the level of poverty down there is unlike any place I've ever been. I went into a grocery store and everything from you know, expensive items to even toothpaste has two prices. It has a one price, like it'll say $2 or 2RS, which is their money. And then next to it, it will say four times 55 cents. And I didn't understand, but apparently people can finance toothpaste federally. Like it's just, it'll just, the government will take it right out of your bank account and you don't need to get credit. So families that can't afford toothpaste can finance it. And when you're in a level where you have to finance toothpaste and basic necessity goods, um, the poverty is so low. So to see it, and experience it now, like my heart, it's like, now I have another invest. I'm, I'm so much more invested in their culture. And I didn't want, and I'm so glad we're not just taking that we're finding ways to give back and creating other revenue lines and business offshoots, both for us, but also for them. And how, you know, the saying, a rising tide lifts all boats, like how we together can grow the acai industry to help them and help us and hopefully help, help consumers in America and around the world. That's really incredible, Jeff. Thank you for, for sharing that. The last question I have for you, because I know we could talk for days about this and <laughs> I, I definitely uh, want to do a follow-up with you, especially as Everbowl continues to grow and gain massive momentum. I mean, I've seen sponsorships at uh, Petco Park at the baseball stadium here and so many other things. And every week I see a new picture with you having just signed a new lease and just the expansion and, and what you're doing and how you're doing it and how it's affecting others uh, is, is just incredibly inspiring. I'm curious about what life is like as an entrepreneur who is also a parent and a husband and and, and um, trying to balance all that because you just seem to be going very sky high. But how does that uh, how, how does that come down to, to home life? How do you stay grounded? How do you stay present? Uh, all, all those things? Yeah, it's uh, so that that's been tough. Um, I, I finally figured out a cadence for me and my family. Um, but there was definitely a period before Everbull, um, in my last company before that, the digital marketing agency where I didn't have a good handle on it. And it's probably just youth and trying to figure that out. But what a mentor of mine taught me and it really changed everything for me was the power of four minutes. And what I mean by that or what he meant by that, which I now use is 
If you wake up four minutes earlier, just four minutes a day for 365 days, you get an entire extra day of productivity. And so being that I want to be there for my kids in the morning when we when they have breakfast, because I have a 14-year-old and an eight-year-old, I wake up earlier and I do my emails and I do stuff that would have consumed me during that time earlier. Mm-hmm. And when you realize that four minutes equals an entire day, imagine what two hours a day does. So I wake up two hours earlier than them. It's easier, easier for me. I'm a morning person, but two hours a day means I get 13 months a year had I not done that because two hours a day is an extra 30 days of productivity a year. So I get so much done between the hours of 4.30 and 6.30 when my daughter wakes up that when she wakes up and it's time for breakfast, I've already been working for almost two hours. Mm -hmm. And so I'm at a position now where I can do that and then I can be present with her and then go hit my day. And that extra month that I'm getting allows me to do it because without it, I didn't, there just wasn't enough hours in the day. I always felt like I wasn't giving my kids or my business or my friends or my family or my health enough of me. And once I understand, so the, what I would say to your audience is if you're feeling like you don't have time, just wake up four minutes earlier and give those four minutes of true productivity to whatever it is you need. And you're going to pick up an entire extra day and everyone can do four minutes, maybe not two hours. Cause that's, that's aggressive, but it started with just four minutes and then it can go to eight minutes because eight minutes a day is two full days a year. And so think about that. If you're wasting four minutes, you know, hitting snooze, those eight minute snooze button, you're literally wasting, if you snooze every day for eight minutes, you're wasting two full calendar days a year snoozing. And as much as that eight minutes feels good when you hit the snooze button, it doesn't feel good when you have to wake up in eight more minutes. So you won't miss it, but you will gain that extra productivity and finding those little ways to maximize your time and be a, you know, be a slave to your calendar or a student of your calendar and, and find those extra opportunities to write that extra email, make that extra call, read that extra book, watch that extra learning on YouTube or one of those learning platforms, listen to, to the SPI podcast and, and understand more things like whatever it is you're doing for those extra eight minutes, it's going to change. It's going to truly change your life over the course of the next 10 years. Because two days a year is 20 days over 10 years. And that's how you're going to find those little hacks, which I have found allowed me to become extra productive and extra efficient at what I'm doing and do things that I wasn't able to do before. Super tactical. Thank you, Jeff. That's amazing. I haven't heard it put that way before. Jeff, where can people go to learn more about you? Obviously, go and look for an Everbowl in your local area <laughs> if, if, if there is one or there will be one, most likely. But uh, Jeff, where should people go to find out more? Yeah, they can go to everbull.com. Uh, we also have our coffee line, which is acai infused super fuel coffee. You can get it on Amazon if we don't have a store yet with you. Find me on Instagram at Fenster Jeff or LinkedIn or Facebook. I love to communicate with entrepreneurs and can't wait to meet anyone who's interested in getting healthy. And obviously, uh, any fan of, of yours, Pat, is a friend I want to meet. So thank you for this opportunity to come on your show big fan of yours and everything that you're doing. And I've learned so much from all your past guests. So it's truly an honor to, to have the opportunity to be on today. Well, it's an honor to have you on. And thanks for uh, filling us in on how everything has gone down. And it, I think we're just getting started with Everbowl. And it's a brand name that I'm sure many of you are going to hear more and more about in the future. So good luck to you, Jeff. Good luck to your team. And keep keep rocking it, man. We'll talk soon. Thank you so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeff Fenster old high school friend of mine, now CEO of Everbowl. You can check him out at everbowl.com. And he's got a lot of great things going on uh, on his Instagram. And uh, just Jeff, you're amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you. We'll have more information in the show notes and different things that you can check out that we mentioned here on the show today. If you wanna check out the show notes, just go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 420. One more time, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 420. 
20. And I'll tell you on my Facebook uh, page, which is uh, just for me, my own personal Facebook account, uh, I see Jeff pop up every once in a while because we've stayed connected over the years just on Facebook. And every time I see him, he's signing a new deal, shaking hands with somebody incredible, and he's just expanding this business in a way that just, you know, and the, and the crazy thing is just he, he had no experience in this leading into it. And I think his sort of first principles mindset, very similar to Elon Musk uh, in how he's built this, how he's sort of managing the entire supply chain, including the constructions of these places, just very incredible. Thank you so much, Jeff, for your inspiration. For anybody out there who's listening, who's still here, thank you so much. If you wouldn't mind taking a quick moment, leaving a quick review on Apple, that would be really helpful for the show. And as always, just keep up the great work. Subscribe so you can get the next and upcoming shows directly to you in whatever podcast platform you want uh, and that's most convenient for you. Looking forward to serving you in the next and upcoming episodes. We got some good stuff coming your way. Until then, as always, Team Flynn for the win. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.